Well, hello, everybody online. This isn't a live recording. We are, uh, had a couple of technical challenges over the weekend, so uh, recording this um, after the event. Um, but we are uh, picking up our Matthew series once again in the Preaching Life of the Church. Uh, it's called Being with Jesus. Um, we're spending a, a good bit of time in this through till the end of summer um, 2022, even if it feels like the rate we're going might be here till 2028 or something. Um, but the reason we're taking our time through um, going through it is, is simply because after the couple of years that we've had, the best thing that we believe that we can do is to be with Jesus. And that's why we're going through one of the gospel accounts um, slowly and just seeing how he was with people, what he said about the um, impact of his work, of his, his kingdom coming, that if we want to press the reset button after everything that's been, if we want to help um, ourselves kind of process uh, all, all that it was, the best thing we can do is to be with Jesus. And along that journey, we've um, uh, seen Jesus introduced in chapters one and two of Matthew and his kingdom announced in chapters three and four. And then if you remember in January, we did the Sermon on the Mount, chapters five through seven, which talk about um, the kingdom manifesto, a vision of life with Jesus as king, uh, where his kingdom then gets demonstrated, three sets of three miracles in chapters eight and nine. And um, uh, Jesus then sends his followers um, out on mission. And, and that was what Steve preached on a few weeks ago as chapter nine moves into uh, chapter 10, the harvest is plentiful. Um, and so really kind of where, where we are today is off the back of chapters 11 and 12 where um, uh, opposition to Jesus has started to grow. We see a range of different responses, some accepting him, some rejecting him. And so Jesus responds by telling a series of parables in chapter 13, which is where we are today. And um, we're going to spend the next three weeks, this being one of three, looking at parables. By my count, there's 25 of them in Matthew. We've seen one of them already, the, the wise and foolish builders. Um, so I suppose the first question is, what are they? Maybe you're listening to this and you're new to the Bible and think, what, what are parables? Uh, they get used in everyday language a bit, don't they? But at their most basic, parables are stories with a meaning that tell us about the kingdom of God. Now, they're more complex than that. I don't think anyone is, any of us are wanting an English lesson on similes and allegories uh, right now, uh, are we? But um, Jesus' parables involve a range of everyday scenarios. So he talks about houses and furniture, food and drink, plants and crops, clothing and jewelry, family and animals. They take the everyday and they reveal the deal for those who believe in Jesus. And in that sense, they, they're also deliberately divisive because they act as this summary statement, this response to chapters 11 and 12 of Matthew, as I was saying, uh, where we see that some are believing in Jesus, accepting his claims to be uh, the Messiah, to um, be the Son of God. But some are rejecting him and um, opposition is beginning to rise. And parables entrench people in those positions by revealing truth to the believing disciples, that is, as Jesus describes, those with ears to hear, whilst also at the same time hiding it from the unbelieving crowds, even hardening or condemning them in their unbelief. And um, I don't know if you saw on social media this week, we did a, a short interview with Derek Tidball and he spoke right into the, uh, the heart of this, the second question that I asked him, and uh, spoke of how parables both reveal and, conce and conceal. You might then say, oh, well, that's all very good and good bible stuff, but why does that matter? How does that affect me going into my workplace or um, seeing my friends? 
And uh, quite simply, would, we would uh, start by saying that we live for an altern alternative kingdom to the world, don't we? We, we have a different master. Uh, we are no longer living for ourselves, uh, but now we've come alive in Jesus. We are living for him. And parables show us this biblical worldview. Um, and so whenever it is that you, um, uh, that, you, that you kind of next see people and uh, they ask you what you've uh, been up to, for instance, what you can say like, hey, I, I've recently seen a new way to see the world. So that's genuinely what, what parables do. They show us the kingdom of God. They show us its principles. They show us the world it creates. They show us what we can um, expect. So let's, um, let's begin to, uh, to read one of them. We're going to be talking about the parable of the sower today. So this is Matthew 13, and uh, I'm reading from the ESV. Here's what it says. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path. And the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain. Some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And then we're going to jump to verse 18 where Jesus says this, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what's been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the words, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the words and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. It's the parable of the soul. Now, I came across uh, something recently, which I would describe as one of the best conversation starters uh, that I've come across in a long time. And it is this question. What is your favorite life hack? What is your favorite life hack? I asked our uh, staff team here at Grace Church uh, this very question. And after an admittedly slow start, uh, there was a whole plethora of things that came through. So apparently, if you spend three minutes doing a job you hate, then you will most likely want to finish it if you've done it for three minutes. If you put a wooden sp a spoon on a pan of boiling water, apparently it doesn't overflow in the same way as if you put a teaspoon in an open bottle of champagne, it prevents it going flat. You can use an uncooked piece of spaghetti to light a candle if the wick has burned too far down for the match to reach. Or if you put lemon juice and white wine vinegar on in the microwave, apparently it cleans it for you, just as creased shirts next to the shower lose their creases. Walesby Forest does a half day of unlimited activities for £8.50, where Go Ape next door is apparently way more expensive. Blue Peter badges will get you free entry to almost anywhere. And above all, never, never cut your own fringe. Life hacks. Things that we realize about life that make more sense or use of it. Now the parable of sower is not a series of life hacks. 
is not even primarily about us. In fact, the, the Bible itself is not primarily about us. It's first and foremost about God, about who he is, about his story, his revelation of himself to the world. <clears throat> and that's in parables too. They're, they're about the kingdom of God, the rule and the reign of Jesus. But because they both reveal for the believing and conceal for the unbelieving, there are some what you might term kingdom secrets, I suppose, to be found within them that once you realize it, it makes much more sense of life. It paints a worldview for us. It allows us to set our expectations right. And how many of us know that our disappointments often come because our expectations were wrong in the first place? Hearing what Jesus says through his parables allows us to uh, set the expectations of what life might be right. And so I want to speak in this message briefly on five secrets of the kingdom of God. Five secrets of the kingdom of God. And the first one of this is this, the generosity of God. The generosity of God. And we see this in verse three where um, a, a farmer uh, sower, uh, sows the seed. Now, if you were to ask the average person on the street to try and define God, it would be very rare to hear words like, generous or kind or uh, lavish and in that sense no wonder people uh, struggle to believe when they're the god that they describe is um, so harsh seemingly so lacking in kindness and yet here in verse three we have a sower a farmer who is not only taking the initiative in delivering his his seeds that is his word his revelation to the world but he is doing so incredibly liberally in all sorts of places he scatters it on the path, the rocky ground, the thorns, the soil. He keeps on scattering, even when it seems wasteful. Apparently, it's called broadcast sowing, and I know uh, nothing about that, so I'm thankful for commentators who do the research on these things. And Craig Blomberg um, is one of those who uh, says, the farmer would simply walk up and down the rows of his field, tossing the seed out by hand, before then using a wooden plow pulled by cows or donkeys to create furrows in the field so that as many of the seeds as possible could take root. I love that phrase. I love what it says about the heart of God. As many of the seeds as possible could take root. We might say that God scatters <clears throat> like some people bake, right? We've all lived with someone like this. You know, the mixing bowl is in the middle. They're broadly just throwing things at it, but most of it is ended up scattering all over the kitchen as long as some ends up in the mixing bowl. I love this quote from Andrew Wilson um, about this generous God. In his book, Spirit and Sacrament, he says this, parables strikingly reinforce the picture of God as an irrepressible giver, that is an unrestrained giver. Once there was a farmer who scattered seed so liberally, most of it didn't take root. Once there was a king who forgave a debt of 10,000 talents. Once there was a vineyard owner who gave people far more than their work was worth. Once there was a father who gave away half of his estate to his rebellious son and then gave him a feast when he came crawling back, having wasted it all. Once there was a nobleman who gave three months wages to all his employees. Once there was a landowner who gave his vineyard over to tenants. Once there was a king who gave wedding invitations to every undesirable in the country. In fact, it is hard to think of a parable in which a God figure features and he is not characterized by giving away far more than he should. Our God is a generous giver, freely giving to us, even when we don't deserve it. He gave up his son so that we could be free and forgiven. 
And Romans chapter 8 now says, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Folks, we have a God who always knows what he is doing, even when it looks ineffective and wrong. And aren't there countless times in the scriptures where God seems to stack the odds against himself and then come through wonderfully in power and love and generosity? He always finds a way. And hence, if that is the journey that so often things look like the odds are stacked against God for him to then come through wonderfully and powerfully, such a generous God that he is. Then the second thing, the second kingdom secret will be the presence of disappointments, that there may be some disappointments in our lives. Um, Quite simply, the the promise here that these things, they will happen. They are part of the Christian walk. It, It might be that you sow a seed of faith, and it's here where you remember that God is, of course, the sower, but he uses his people. So we can see ourselves both in the sower and in in the soils here in this parable. You might sow the seed of faith and it it just lands on a hard heart, just lands on a hard heart. I mean, I I can remember all sorts of stories, uh, thinking back even as as far as sixth form, um, felt nudged by God to... um, Uh, just write some things to one of my friends about uh, the way that God saw her, about how she was fearfully and wonderfully made, about um, how his, uh, 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 that he created her for purpose, that he got a plan for her life, that he uh, promised to uh, be with her forever if she'd want to give her life to him. And I I thought it was her route in and turned out just to become an object of ridicule, to be honest. Or even just in the last year, like we've moved house and trying to uh, get to know people in, in, in our local area. And, you know, as you get to know them as friends, just constantly looking for this kind of gospel in, you know, Jesus has changed our lives. So we want to share him with with people. And you know, even for me, that might start with just saying that uh, simply as that I work for a church. And sometimes people's faces just just go blank. Like there's an immediate kind of shutdown. I'm sure many of us uh, who are Christians could identify uh, we've, we're, times when we feel that our our words have just been stolen away by the enemy, acting like a like a seagull at the seaside. You know, it kind of just comes and snatches away, grabs it straight away. The ground has become hard. And we shouldn't be surprised, should we? Genesis 3 tells us that um, in response to their disobedience to God, Adam and Eve found that um, the, the ground was to get hard to work and to tend. It's become hard physically. It's become hard spiritually. It's, it's why we pray. And these disappointments, they they can happen in terms of our outreach, but they can happen in lots of other areas of life too, can't they? Things don't happen as we wish. They don't land where we want. Life can be frustrating. We're not always fine. It's not always comfortable. And sometimes those things are of our own doing. Some of them are pure evil and things that have happened to us. Most of them are are neither of them, are kind of somewhere in the middle, as it were. Things just happen. But the promise of God is that he will work in all things that he uses our disappointments to draw us to himself, to cause us to depend on him, to fulfill his purpose in ways that sometimes we don't even see. Guys, precious things happen when the only thing that we can do is say, Lord, I trust you. The difficulty, as you can hear the chat in the uh, corridors um, here here at uh, the Grace Church building, uh, the difficulty is that lots of Christian content we see, you know, on the web or wherever, seems to forget this, that these disappointments are, are kind of part of the journey. And sometimes the message can be that kind of Jesus will give you a life free from suffering. And, and so when the disappointments come, we can 
conclude that God has abandoned us or is punishing us. You know, we've, we've all had that thought at some point and yet nothing can be further from the truth. And it's worth noting that's a very us-centred view of God, isn't it? You know, God should be doing things just as I want, exactly as I want him to. Well, really, that's no God at all. I was with a, a small group of young adult lads um, just the other week and we invited some uh, guys kind of beyond their 20s to uh, come and do a session with them called uh, Things I Wish I'd Known in My 20s. Um, and it was fascinating to see how some of these guys articulated that um, some of the, the deepest life lessons, the, mo- the moments where they grew in their self-understanding the most, that they came right off the back of disappointment. Or equally, even just uh, last week as a strategy team, we were on, a, on an online conference with a, a guy called Pete Schizero. <coughs> he's, um, he's written a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. It's a very, very helpful book. And um, he was just making the plea, like, guys, can we please remember that we follow the crucified Christ and not the westernized Christ? He calls us to take up our cross daily and follow him. That these challenges, they're, they're part of the deal. But the reason that we can have hope in the midst of our disappointments is because we know that one day God will make all things right. And that's what the the parables of the weeds and the net that um, follow this parable in Matthew 13 go on to talk about. That justice will come through wholly and fully that we will have in a much more intense way the feeling of, oh yeah, God really did know what he was doing. And it's living for that day, it's judging things by that day that is the true and the proper biblical perspective. We are living for an eternal outcome. And that's what Matthew's parables do, by the way. They pull the end into the present and they leave us in the knowledge that in the meantime, he's with us in it all and he'll give us a peace that will surpass all understanding. And so if these disappointments will come and they're kind of part of the journey, then we've got to cling on to Jesus, haven't we? And so the third thing, the third kingdom secret is the need for depth, the need for depth. And um, it's here where we come to the rocky ground. Uh, We've done the path, so now here's the rocky ground in verse five and six. And the seed here, if you remember, uh, lands on shallow soil, so it springs up immediately, but uh, there's no roots. And so the heat of the sun comes, it's got um, nothing to draw on and um, it gets scorched. And Jesus interprets that to, to say that the people who uh, look like they're making a response to him, but there's no depth to what they're doing. And so the trials come and they think, oh, yeah, that's not actually for me. And it's at this point I would love in the message to um, uh, to have had some uh, wonderful analogy or illustration to bring these things to life. I, I've seen plenty of gardens of people in Gracia. And some of them are absolutely beautiful. I know there's people that have got allotments and they're just great at growing things, but... In my garden, in the Potter household, when we tried to grow some things, we thought we'll start with the basics. We'll start with tomatoes and strawberries. You know, the basics. You put them there and they grow. You know, how, how hard can it be? Keep them watered. And yet um, what happened for us, it was that my uh, son, who was two at the time, decided to pick 30 very small green, very much green tomatoes and put them on the strawberry plants to, in his words, make them go red. That's our kind of level of success. Uh, So instead of an illustration, instead I'm going to ask you a question. Why do you come to church each Sunday? When we gather on a Sunday, why do you come along? Maybe it's that you are listening to this and you think, I want to go and try it out and see what it's like. And if so, you'd be really, really welcome. We'd love to see you. 
But it might be you answer that as, oh, well, I go, I have a serving role, so I go along. Or um, I know it feels good when I worship, and so I, I head along. Or I go to get filled up for the week, or I have friends there, or maybe you're just honest and say, well, it's just my, my habit. Every Sunday I, I do that. Guys, I want to say that good things can have shallow roots sometimes too. You know, the, the roles can change. We can get distracted in worship. Um, I'm sure this never happens, but we can forget even what's been preached on by the time we have our first coffee after the meeting. We can have misunderstandings with people. It's slightly wider than um, Sunday meetings. We can see some Christian content you know, all over the internet that really is just secular life advice with a, a mild bit of Christian flavouring mixed in. But if our faith and our life is centred on anything other than a deep pursuit of Jesus, in worship and wonder at who he is, at what he's done, I want to suggest that when trials come, nothing else will have roots that cling as deep as the gospel of Jesus. You know, I got saved into a wonderful community, church community I love dearly. I love the way that my faith shapes my life. I love the feelings that it gives me and the opportunities it affords me. But each and every Sunday, I am there because I love Jesus. And I'm saved because I believed in his unchanging, eternal truth. And I've been wanting to know more of him ever since. And guys, we really must pay attention to our feelings and to our relationships and to how things are being done around us. But it all must be grounded in the perfectly reliable truth of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And how it is that you seek him, how it is that you look to go deeper, the where, the when, the with whom, that's up to you. And we can really help one another as church community in talking the practicalities of that. But there's two things that I have realized of late about my devotional life. And the first one is this. My best rest happens there. My best rest happens there. I've been asking a lot of questions about rest recently, um, about sort of what our expectations can be. Um, I've got young children and so kind of how they affect things. I'm sure many of us can identify with having jobs or life circumstances that make the balance of, of work and rest just uh, difficult. Here's what I've realized. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Callum preached it a few weeks back. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. And my realization is that my best awake rest, because we need to sleep and some of us need to hear that too, my best awake rest happens when I'm alone with Jesus. Now the alone bit of that might change for you. There's an element of that, not fully, but an element um, that is personality dependent. But the Jesus bit will not. Come to me, all who are weary. I will give you rest. It doesn't just say sit on the sofa and you'll get rested. The second realization about my devotional life is that I need to grow downwards before I grow upwards. Now, we have all got things that we want to do and be and see happen. And hopefully those things have um, we've been called by God to do them. But my realization is that I need deep roots more than I need high aims. And that's not just for being a pastor, by the way. That's about being a better, uh, a better GP. Like, what's the way that you can love your patients the most? By being full of the compassion of Jesus. That's about being a better parent. Like, what's the way that you can um, be the best mum or dad or carer for your kids? It's by being ablaze with passion for Jesus. 
What's the best way you can be a teacher amidst all the paperwork and the deadlines and the expectations and the stress is by letting the peace of God guard your heart. How can you be the best students that you can be? By being full of the Holy Spirit. How can you nail retirement? By listening to the voice of Jesus in that season and responding to him. And so because of that, because of the need to cling deep to Jesus, we've got to be aware of the dangers of distraction. And that's the fourth thing, the dangers of distraction, which we we see in verse seven, where Jesus talks about the thorns and he um, interprets them as the the cares of the world, uh, the deceitfulness of riches that can just choke the crop. And just to try and keep this message shorter, um, I'm just going to make one point about this, which is that the rocky ground that we referred to last time uh, in the third point can very easily get confused with the thorns. You know, if you perhaps you're familiar with your Bible and you try and describe the parable of the sower and you think, um, oh, there's some seed that's on uh, the path. I know how to explain that bit. And there's some seed that lands on the good soil. That's that bit. And then there's two things in between. I can't quite remember what happens to each one of them. You know, one of them, uh, something to do with sort of growing up, but then getting scorched. One of them to do thorns, getting involved. Neither seem to make it. And it of course refers to people that look like they're they're coming to saving faith to responding to Jesus but actually there's there's that lack of depth and they don't get anywhere and I think the reason we get these things confused and hard to sort of distinguish between them is because lack of depth that we referred to in the third point can often go hand in hand with distraction which is this point and folks if you're getting distracted in your walk with Jesus maybe it's because there's further depths that Jesus wants to invite you to explore and equally, if, if you look at your walk with Jesus and you think, actually, it is a little bit shallow, I'm sure you can, very, you can identify it's very easy to, to succumb to distractions in that moment, isn't it? But when you're deep into Jesus, as any of us who've been walking with Jesus sometime will know and can kind of pass on, when you're deep into him, when you're feeding off his word, when you're full of his presence, when your mind and your heart are mully, more fully set on him, sometimes then the distractions just seem to quieten down around us. Um, that's, that's the moment when we can be the parent and the employee and the friend and the person that, that we want to be when our mind is set on Jesus. And so, guys, I want to ask us, are our temptations to distraction submitted to our quest for depth? Or to put it another way, where is it that we get distracted? And I suspect for most of us, it's probably got something to do with our phones. It would be a common experience for us all. So then are we saying no to those distractions for the sake of focusing or giving time to something much more glorious, the kingdom of God? And actually, I don't think it's purely just a matter of time either. Different life circumstances lead to different amounts of time to be able to uh, read and pray and what have you. I, I think this is a matter of heart and a matter of priority. A matter of a, having a, a God-centeredness to our life, a God-consciousness that wherever it is that he has placed us, that he's put us there for a reason, that we're to seek and serve him first and foremost, that in all of our jobs and our activity, he calls us to honour him, to do whatever we do to his glory. And actually, that's how the parable ends, that when our focus is on him, that there's the promise of fruitfulness, and it's here we Um, see in verse 8 the the good soil and where farmers of the day would have um, commonly expected a 10 or 20 fold yield for their crops Jesus promises that in his kingdom there will be a 30 maybe a 60 perhaps even a hundred fold yield and yield and it's here where we see the the twist in the story 
And um, the twist is often the key to interpreting parables, actually. Um, and for um, Jesus and, and his followers, um, when they first heard this, they um, most likely would have thought about their, their nation's history, the nation of Israel. There's lots of references that sort of join up with things the Old Testament uh, says about Israel, about the people of God. And the implication being that up till now, Israel has been in all these different soil types we've got to. But that Jesus is saying that in him coming, in the kingdom of God coming, in the, the work of Jesus that he's bringing about, he's planting his people fully and finally in good soil. He's allowing them to know fully and finally the generosity of God. He's, he's, he's enabling them to get their disappointments in check. He's giving them a depth that they can cling to him because truly he clings onto them. And in so doing, the distractions just get lessened. Guys, both in ourselves and in our seed scattering, you know, when we witness or encourage or prophesy over others, the promise of God is that he can vastly exceed our expectations. And that's what the parables of the mustard seed and leaven in Matthew 13 go on to talk about that. God can do so much with a willing heart. And so I want to ask you, what is God asking you to say yes to as you listen to this message? He's asking us to say no to some other things, to just leaving our disappointments unchecked or to uh, getting distracted. But what is he asking you to say yes to today? Because we have to remember that that seed went into the soil as ordinary, as ordinary as any other seed. There's nothing special about that seed. It just landed in fertile soil by the grace of God. Guys, in the gospel, we too have landed and been planted in fertile soil by the grace of God. His promise over us now is fruitfulness. This is who we are. And some of us need to, um, to hear, in fact, all of us need to hear that. We can need to continue to hear the gospel, don't we? But commonly, sometimes our perception can be, oh, I'm, I'm just too ordinary for God to use me. But when we set our heart on Jesus, when we pray over our work and our witnessing, our time and our talent, just watch what God will do if we will simply say yes to him. I want to end this message a little bit later on in Matthew chapter 27, where it tells us that when Jesus died, the earth shook and the rocks split. It's interesting to note that it's the soil that survives, that the paths and the rocks don't. Guys, Jesus died to churn up the soil in our hearts and in the hearts of many in this city, even to give us a new heart that responds to his work now. The promise here, is that some soil will land, some seed will land in good soil. That as his people, we can know his faithfulness, we can know his fruitfulness at work within us, that he will bless our hearts and our work as we simply say yes to him. Thanks so much for listening. Let me pray quickly to finish. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your faithfulness, for your generosity in sowing your seed into our lives. We pray that we would know you as a generous God, that when disappointments come, that we wouldn't leave them unchecked, but we'd have a true and proper perspective of living for that great day when you'll make all things right, knowing you're with us in the meantime. Lord, would you give us the depth to cling on to you, that quietens down the distractions around us, so that we might be a fruitful people because you are a faithful God. In your name we pray. Amen.